There's a role in the HR function that I've always been really intrigued by, and that is a chief of staff position. And I'm excited today on the podcast to be speaking with my first former HR chief of staff, Lucia Guillory. We're going to get into Lucia's background and role and how she transitioned from academia to a role at Yahoo, where she wore a variety of hats, including chief of staff, to her current role as VP of People and Places at Verta Health. Uh, we're also going to get into what it was actually like to go out on maternity leave at the beginning of a global pandemic and come back to a very new world of work. So we'll get into that conversation after a brief word from our sponsor. Redefining HR one podcast at a time. Support for the Redefining HR podcast comes from PIN. PIN is building the world's first employee-centric communications tool, enabling your employees to automatically receive helpful messages at key moments throughout their journey, from onboarding to promotions and everywhere in between. PIN helps companies battle communication overload and puts your employees in control over when and how they receive information. Go to pinhq.com for more information. That's P-Y-N-H-Q.com. And reinvent employee communications for the distributed workplace. And now, on to the show. Hey everyone, welcome to the Redefining HR podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt, and today I am thrilled to be joined by the VP of People and Places for Verta Health, Lucia Guillory. Lucia and I are going to talk through her career that spans both academia and operator roles, as well as what it's like to actually step out on maternity leave at the beginning of a global pandemic and then come <laughs> back into a very different world. So Lucia, thanks so much for coming on the show. If you wouldn't mind, uh, why don't you just give the listeners an introduction and background on you? Hi. Hey, Lars. Uh, thanks for having me. Well, I began my career at Stanford's GSB uh, in, in the PhD program studying organizational behavior. And there I was really interested in power dynamics, I did some diversity work and ultimately my sense was that there just wasn't enough action, I guess, in academia. I really wanted the work that I did to have a greater impact and a greater impact faster. And so I worked at Yahoo for a number of years in many different roles. I worked in employee engagement, business partnership, also in the analytics space and as a chief of staff before going into the startup world where I worked at Patreon for a number of years, leading their people team. And I'm now at Verda, um, leading, leading the people function as well there. Yeah, now I'm, I'm curious, like from, you know, starting your career in academia and then obviously now kind of moving over to an operator role, how did that start shape how you kind of view your role and, and really kind of, you know, operate as an operator today? Yeah, well, I think that there there are some distinctions and a lot of similarities between between me and other people leaders. I do think that I I tend to be someone who is very data and and testing rapid iteration oriented and I think that comes from my background in academia. I'm really curious about how things work and why they work that way and sometimes that gets me into trouble, but it's <laughs> it's definitely something that I am I'm passionate about. So I, I do tend to be a leader that comes at things with a certain amount of curiosity and a desire to see tests done um, as a means of deciding what the real truth is and, and what kind of action we should take as a business. 
Yeah, well, those are uh, great qualities, I think, for a chief people officer, you know, especially in, in today's time, uh, you know, the, the, the innate curiosity. It's a common denominator, I think, when I have conversations with, um, you know, really kind of impactful people leaders, that, that curiosity, that, you know, uh, that desire to kind of understand how things work, uh, I think is definitely a, a common trait that I see. Um, I want to go back in time a little bit to your role at Yahoo, because I know you, mm -hmm. you spent a couple of years there. You had a couple of different roles. We were actually brought together by, you know, our mutual friend, Brian Power, uh, who, you know, uh, back in, you know, a couple of years ago was running HR for Yahoo. And yeah. for a period of time, you were his chief of staff. And, and I want to I want to spend a little bit of time on that role, because I think. Uh, when you know the chief of staff role within uh, is typically not a role that is thought of in the context of an HR department, but I'm starting mm -hmm. to see more of it, and I'm really fascinated about the potential for impact for those types of roles. You know, both as 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 an operator, both as somebody who is kind of the right hand person to the CHRO, but doesn't necessarily have a a large um, you know staff and team and kind of core HR functional mandate beneath them typically. So mm -hmm. walk me through that role. Like what, what, what was that job like for you? What was your scope? What did you do? How did yeah. you get there? T tell me everything. Yeah, that was an amazing opportunity. And I'm, I'm grateful to Brian to this day for giving me that shot because that role really allowed me to see all the parts of HR and get to understand them deeply. And for someone at the point that I was at in my career, that was just gold. It was like drinking from a water hose and every day was so invigorating. Um, so one of my key roles was just managing his relationship with his execs. So there were a number of, because Yahoo was a big organization, you know, Brian was leading the function, but there were a number of different VPs across different functions. And so partnering with them to understand what their goals were, how they laddered up to the goals of the entire business, and then managing the tracking against those goals was a big part of the work that I did. And I think being someone who came from the analytics space, it was also something that was, was generally on the easy side for me and also something that I enjoyed doing. The other thing um, that I spent a good amount of time um, on was just understanding what Brian did, <laughs> which was really right. cool. So like <laughs> really trying to understand, you know, what is this person doing in this role? What do I need to know about his views and his perspectives such that I can be a stand-in for him in some cases? So I would also attend meetings on his behalf in, in some cases and then think through what he would think about X or Y or Z so that we could speed up the communication flow and get things going on a lot of work streams. And then there were special projects that I owned as well, which I owned you know, entirely, but there would be cross-functional teams working on. And essentially, I'd be the point person to talk through, well, what's going on with the special project? Is it moving forward? Is it where it needs to be? Who are the people that need to be pulled in to, to make this happen? Yeah. And so I know that this was, uh, you know, your first time, obviously, in a role like that. And, uh, you know, obviously, you, you, you pursued a path as a CHRO yourself, you know, after that. So you probably liked enough of what you saw in terms of uh, working closely with Brian. What surprised you, you know, in terms of like having that level of um, connection and proximity to somebody running all of HR for the first time in your career? What about that role surprised you? What stands out? Yeah, well, I mean, one of the biggest learnings for me 
And I think that the way that Brian, I want to think about the way he said this to me. He said, sometimes you need to take time to waste time. And at that point in my life, I, uh, I was, I was very strongly against this view. I was very oriented around just results. You know, when I was having meeting with meetings with folks, I wanted to get to what are we trying to solve for? What's the answer? So we can go on to the next thing. And being that I'd come from academia and I'd been in analytics, everything was kind of uh, zeros and ones to me. It was, it was all numbers. <laughs> and right. so one of the things that I learned and which was a big surprise is just how much relationships matter. Like two people that want the same thing, but have a poor relationship just cannot make it work somehow. And that was a new revelation to me. I mean, at that at that point in my life, I thought, okay, if everyone in this room wants to see this thing happen, how could we possibly leave a meeting and it not occur? But, you know, there's there's a lot more to relationships than having, you know, a shared goal or even agreeing on the steps that should be taken. And so that was a big learning a big learning for me. And it came out of the fact that I didn't have any real power. I mean, I had, I had the relationship that I had with Brian, but I didn't have any teams. And so, you know, I was in this, in this role where I was trying to get things done without, without the same things that other leaders who are trying to accomplish things have to back them. And so that led me to to more deeply understand the power of the relationship and to try and begin to hone those skills, which I think have really served me well um, in my career up to this point. Yeah, you know, that's it's really interesting the way you frame that because you're right. I guess in a role like that, uh, your ability to influence isn't through hierarchy in the sense of your your team. It's it's through relationships for sure, and and trust and and the ability to kind of build those connections to get people to to kind of move in the directions that, uh, that, that you want. So I could, I could see that's a very different dynamic, especially kind of coming from much more of a quantitative background uh, like academia. And I mean, to, to further explain this, take time to, to waste time um, idea, you know, I would come to him and I'd be like, I went to all these meetings, I found all this information. And he, he would say, well, you know, did you talk to this person? Did you get to know them? Did, you know, what can you tell me about them? And I, would, I wouldn't have anything to say because I hadn't spent any time really getting to know them as a person, getting to know what their motivations were. And that was a gap. You know, that was a gap for me in my understanding of how businesses work. And um, I have since, you know, thought a lot about, you know, what, what portion of work is explicitly, I'm making air quotes here, <laughs> uh, explicitly work and what part of it is just normal human interaction, relationship building friendships, you know? Um, yeah. and, I, and I do think a big part of work for effective organizations isn't work at all. It's, it's just being a friend to somebody. Um, and that's, that's been a cool thing to, to learn and then also to, to get to experience. I'd say it makes work a lot more enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. And I could, I imagine that obviously being a great foundation for you then kind of, you know, moving on to your own, you know, uh, career and roles, running people teams. And so let, let's talk mm -hmm. a little bit about your current role. So right now you're running people in places at Verta Health. Uh, for listeners that aren't familiar with the company, why don't maybe we could start with just a baseline of uh, an overview of what, uh, what Verta Health 
does, uh, you know, number of employees, kind of how your team is, is structured to support those employees and that sort of thing? Yeah. So we're a telehealth company that is oriented around and focused on reversing diabetes. And essentially, we have a number of different types of employee, which is, I think, part of what makes Verta so interesting from an HR perspective. We've got doctors, we've got coaches, we've got, you know, the, the, the general technical stack, product engineering. We also have researchers and scientists. And so there are so many different perspectives wrapped up into this organization. We're around 200 people. And my team is a little over 10. We have a number of open roles right now. And so we're really supporting this, this ecosystem of so, of so many different, um, so many different types of, of ideas and so many different types of deep knowledge um, is another, another thing I would say that's, that's special about, about our team. And I've been there for about a year, a year and nine months, year and 10 months. I'm coming up upon my, my two year anniversary. All right, cool. Well, considering the uh, the bulk of the listeners of this podcast are HR practitioners and operators, what are you hiring for? Let's uh, let's plug your jobs real quick before we move on oh, to the next question. Oh, okay. So I have a recruiting coordinator role open. I also am looking for a contract recruiter on the technical side and a sourcer. On the HR side, I'm looking for a business partner and a programs manager. Very cool. And do they need to be uh, based locally or can they be remote? Uh, where, where do they need to be? We're open to them being remote. Um, so I think if you if you are interested in any of these roles, please don't hesitate to ping and, and to reach out. Cool. Well, I think, you know, one of the things that was uh, super interesting, when we first met, when we first got connected, you were uh, actually out on maternity leave. And it was yeah. leave that you went on um, soon after, oh, you know, a global pandemic came and ravaged <laughs> the world and turned everything upside down. So, you know, I believe you, you know, you, you went out on leave soon after COVID hit. Uh, you mm-hmm. came back, you know, fairly recently. So what what was that even like? Like, what, what was it like to kind of, you know, leave just as that was all uh, really kind of going down and then obviously not be there during and then kind of plug back into a, a world and I imagine a company that was probably pretty radically different than the one you left? Yeah, well, I, I have not experienced being pregnant and having a baby in any other context. So I can't, <laughs> I can't say anything there, but it was okay. definitely rough. It was rough. I do feel fortunate though that that my company agreed to have us work from home pretty early on in the context of the pandemic. So I wasn't commuting with my baby in a really high risk situation. And so I was home for I think two months before uh, my baby came. And that was really helpful because the commute was getting to be a lot on me. I, I take the part in. And I, I was a giant woman <laughs> right before I delivered. And so like just walk, walking and um, the amount of physical activity that was required for my commute was, was wearing on me. And so I do think that that was fortunate. Um, in, in terms of being out during the pandemic, it was, it was weird. Um, <laughs> it was weird because you can't go anywhere. Although, you know, as someone with a small child, you're not going to that many places. I think that the hardest thing was just being away from my family. My parents have have never met my son. 
in, in real life. And he's now almost six months old. And so, I mean, I would have never imagined we would be in a situation like that. And that's, right. that's definitely been really hard being away from them, you know, because, you know, they're, they have, they, they're at high risk, I would say. So being away from them and not being able to see them and make sure that they're okay, but also not having them have, have a relationship with my son the way that his other grandparents get to because they're local. So um, those things have definitely been hard about this, this whole pandemic. And then when it comes to returning from returning to work, I was, I was pretty afraid before I, I did return, but it's been very invigorating being back at work. And I think a big part of it is just being able to use parts of my brain, parts of myself that had been dormant during the four months I was off. Uh, I was off from work and really only seeing my son and my husband all day, every day, and generally no one else. So I do think that being back has just been such a joy. Uh, I love my team and I love thinking about the, the things I get a chance to think about in my line of work. And so it's been exciting to be back and especially being back and, and still being remote, I felt has been such a blessing because I still get to have my son around um, yeah. to a much greater extent. So I, I feel pretty lucky <laughs> um, in terms of how it's it's worked out on a number of levels. Yeah. What do you think, what surprised you the most, you know, as you kind of came back and uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, different, different world that you're returning to in terms of uh, you know, how companies have been adapting to the pandemic. What, what surprised you? Well, I think that the thing that surprised me most about my own company is just how much our how much our understanding of our positioning changed in a short period of time. When I left, it seemed as though we were not going to be seeing as much growth because of the pandemic. But when I returned by that, that by that point, our growth had really taken off quite drastically. And we were in a situation where we needed to think through how we can grow faster. On, on the recruiting and hiring side. And so it was, it's really kind of a, a world away in, in that respect. When I think about the, the broader world um, in, in the HR space, I would say it's been exciting and somewhat surprising how quickly the world moves on and how quickly the yeah. world finds a way to make things work, you know, um, finds a way to reposition, to realign such that things are continuing on at a similar pace. Um, that that has been interesting from my calls with other people leaders, like, oh, we're gonna do X, Y, and Z, and we're gonna continue operating very similarly to the way that we were before, though we're all remote. I think that that's exciting and that's, that's presenting a lot of cool challenges and opportunities for the people space right now. Yeah, and so how do you think about remote there, right? Like I know uh, you've begun working to better enable remote work. You are not a kind of, uh, you know, remote, remote by default organization before the pandemic. So what has that process been like for Verda as, as you begin to kind of work through like how, what's the right um, operational rhythms, cadence, et cetera, around remote work? Yeah, it's definitely been a learning experience. Before I left, we put some things in place. We realized, hey, this seems to be going on for a long time. We need to give some 
some degree of runway, so some kind of timetable to folks, and we need to give them some resourcing because our team, you know, many many folks have families and they no longer have childcare. Uh, many folks had, had not had a home office set up, and so they're working from their kitchen table. So we needed to put in place some resourcing to help people through this time. So the immediate things that we did were think through a stipend for home setup and a resource that talked through, you know, the home setup items that we recommended, as well as linking folks with benefits that could help them through this time and highlighting those benefits, whether they be mental health or support and thinking through their childcare situations. And those were really blanket offerings. So this we, we, we um, included this internet offering and this phone offering. Those were really blanket offerings and they were in place for a number of months. And then when I came back, it became apparent, hey, not every team is responding in the same way to these offerings. So that was one thing that was interesting. There are groups of people that were not using any of these resources um, and not, not every team even understood what it was that we were offering. And so right. we're now in a phase of partnering directly with the business to understand what each team needs, because I do think that the teams, the teams work differently, I guess, is, is one thing that we've learned. Not everyone experiences remote work the same way because of the different types of work that they're doing. And then even on the individual level, people have very different situations at home and we need to think through how to create offerings that are, I want to say more modular, but I don't think that's the right word, but, but offerings that are reasonably diverse and that can be turned on and off for folks such that there's more of a, a portfolio of things available and you can pick from that portfolio as opposed to this is what the business thinks that you need, hope it works out. And so <laughs> right. here we're in the process now of doing that deeper level of, of partnership with each function through really a cycle of listening and then getting back and partnering with finance on, okay, this is what we're hearing from these various teams. What would it look like if we funded X for Y and we funded something different for, for group Z or, or group E? And that's been really exciting um, to see, to see that work, work happen. And I think it's, it's been one of the ways that we can connect with teammates, which I think as if I were to say something is a blanket thing, increasing connection is one of those things. We need to be increasing and intensifying those connection touch points while we are apart. And something as simple as, do you have a couple of minutes to talk to me about what your particular needs are and what you think the needs of your function are? Is, is it one of those great touch points to have? Yeah, and I'm, I'm curious, like, how else do you do that, right? Because I think a lot of companies, particularly companies that are, you know, have shifted from being co-located to being distributed, um, you know, we're all, str I mean, culture is, is a, can be a difficult thing to kind of nurture and develop uh, during the best of times, right? Let alone during this, uh, you know, dumpster fire of a year. So, how do you go about like maintaining and and enhancing and supporting those kind of cultural connections and touch points in an environment where you know 
everybody is remote and you know they probably now they're more used to being remote because it's been happening for you know months and months now but yeah. um, but in general like how do you how do you see kind of the your team's role in in supporting that and and are there any particular things that you've done that you feel have been received well Yes. So, I mean, I do think that this through line, there's just like going to be a through line here of Brian's words to me still, this like take time to waste time. <laughs> Although it's not a waste of time. It's actually truly, I think, the best use of time. Um, thinking through and making sure that in your daily flow, there is time for connection, I think is one of the most important things that an organization can do right now. And so we have been involved in thinking through this on the level of the meeting. So one way that this has been happening on the level of the meeting for us is having either a question of the week, um, if you're having a weekly meeting, that's a personal question um, so that people, before the, the meeting starts and we get into the what's going on with this metric, what's going on with that metric, people have the chance to talk about themselves and bring their, their whole self to that space is is a great thing to do. Um, we do this at our executive team meeting on a weekly basis. And this week, um, the the question was, what's your favorite national park? And everyone told some story about their relationship to a park and what happened there and why it was important to them. And um, one of my teammates talked about going to a park with his father growing up and how it really shaped his relationship with his dad. And so that that couple of minutes, that 15 minutes, really bonded me to him and it it cost very little to the business i guess but the the relationship building and the connection is really going to pay dividends for us over time so something as small as that i think is is really beneficial one of the other things um that i i have been uh, thinking more about is how do we translate things that used to happen in the physical space into the digital space or into the virtual space and so We've, we have experimented with either small group lunches and events or parties that are entirely virtual. And I think that they've gone really well. Um, I've had two, two virtual baby showers <laughs> at this point. <laughs> and um, I think one of the things that has made them uh, so cool is this the intersection of things that are happening in real life and things that are happening virtually. So we'll be having an event virtually. We'll all have the same Zoom backgrounds. But while the event is going on, something will be delivered to the person. And so the person is getting something in real life that relates to the event that they're experiencing. And I feel that that's really, it's really led to a lot of surprise and delight for our team. Um, yeah. During our virtual retreat, we, we have this thing that we do every year where we have Virtan of the Year. And this time it was one of my teammates, Mark, who, who won. And he wasn't expecting it because you never tell people in advance. And so while the presentation was going on live, the entire company is watching, you can see one of the teammates is like getting up from his, his desk and going to his front door and he's getting this prize, you know, and he's, he's getting the prize in real life that's being talked about over video. And so I think that um, that ability to synchronize things is really exciting and um, makes the experience more real and more tangible for both folks who are remote and who are not actually having the experience directly and definitely for the person who's who's there in the moment receiving the thing. And then 
the other thing I would say is like capitalizing on that real-time experience through real-time discussion. So in in most of these these events, if they're if they're large scale events or small scale events, there's there's a chat that's going on simultaneously to the live event. So you can see what people are saying about what they're seeing and contribute right. to that conversation even if you're not talking. Um, and that that adds another layer of connection to whatever is happening at the moment. And one thing I love about it, I feel like I'm getting like too excited. <laughs> um, <laughs> one thing I love about it is that unlike Re reactions and experiences that we have in real time outside of the virtual world, there's no, there, there's a real record of that experience that, that could exist right. forever. And so for Mark, we, we actually just screenshot and downloaded all of the comments that were coming through as this was happening for him. And he has them with him forever. You know, if he wants to go back and look at, Hey, these 200 people commenting on how great, of a job I've been doing and how impactful I've been, he can look at that at any time. Whereas, you know, with our previous iterations of this, people will say something to you in the moment and you'll, you, you're savoring it then, but you don't really have the opportunity to play it back for yourself. So, right. you know, those are all elements of this new reality that are exciting for me and that I've been thinking with my team about, you know, how do we capitalize on this, this element of the employee experience? How do we make it the best possible for folks? All right. So yeah, that sounds really interesting. I mean, I think it's such a great point about this kind of blend of, uh, you know, culture. Uh, we almost look at it differently now or this, you know, the legacy way of viewing things is you had the separation between work and life. And now, you know, we're, we're in each other's homes and we're seeing each other's kids and pets and we're getting to know people in ways that, uh, you know, we just, we typically didn't in, in a normal work environment. So that's, uh, it, it's really interesting to kind of think about the idea of blending that, that, you know, in real life um, gifting aspect with the virtual aspect that we all have. Um, last question for you, Lucia, when you, when you think about, you mentioned earlier how 2020 has been an accelerant on so many aspects of the HR and people space. When you think about the ways that the field is evolving, what are you most excited about for the future of the field? I would definitely say how the field responds to this moment is what I'm most excited about. I think that there are a lot of things that we had been working towards for, for many, many years and say like we've been iterating on performance forever. I would say like the, the history of HR is an iteration on performance management. Um, right. And I think right now we have an opportunity to truly reimagine some of those old, uh, old elements of the field that we never really got right. And so, you know, I think in this, in this new virtual world, there's an opportunity to strip a lot of things out of performance and get down to its most, you know, basic elements and create a technology that can help us really understand that and then unlock work for, you know, many, many people who have not been able to find employment because of their location or because of other factors that are not really relevant to their ability to deliver. And so that, you know, that potential that we have, that opening is really exciting for me. I want to see what we come up with for life in this space. And I want to see it enable a new type of work for the world, really. And I think that that would be, that would be amazing <laughs> if that were 
uh, <laughs> if that were to happen. I don't want us to miss this moment, which I do think yeah. is is possible um, because it's it's easy to revert to the world that you were once in and that you're comfortable with. That's such a great point, and I'm glad you made it. Uh, and so I think that this is this is a real moment, you know, for all of us. And to uh, to not seize this opportunity would just be a huge huge miss for the field. And um, I don't know, I'm I'm pretty confident, at least for the leading edge of HR, that's not going to happen. I you know I see people like you and other people that are really just, uh, you know, they see this window and they're seizing it. And so it's uh, you know, as hard as 2020 has been. Uh, those things that are happening and the longer term implication of them uh, is really exciting. So uh, Lucia, thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing your story and sharing your wisdom. Thanks for having me, Lars. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Redefining HR. For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, the Redefining HR book or free resources, be sure to check out redefininghr.com. And if you dig this podcast, why don't you share it with your CEO, your executive team, and your friends to help them discover what Redefining HR is all about. If you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on whatever podcast delivery vehicle your ears prefer. See you next week.